and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Tanya Lacey, I am so excited to have you as my guest on She's the Boss Chats. You and I have known each other, well, I'm not even going to say how long because I wrote it the other day and I thought, I can't even be that old. But when when you were a student and I was um, a first-year student, we shared or we lived in the same block of flats. So I just wanted to let everyone know that because I'm going to be intrigued to hear what you've been up to before and since. So tell everyone about you. (laughs) Well, it's really lovely to be on your show. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Um, Yes, those were the good old bad old days, weren't they? That was (laughs) 1985 and uh, I just had my accident at the VCA. So I was in plaster and crutches and, yeah, I remained that way for a good six months. So, yeah. Yeah, but it was, great, sort of, it was a great block of flats, but, yeah, it wasn't it obviously a great time for you. No. <laughs> no. Okay, well, let's go back further. So first tell everybody what you're doing now and why. Okay, so I'm currently doing a show called Catch a Falling Star, which is streaming. It was streaming as part of Edinburgh, but it's actually been extended to the end of September. Amazing. And this was kind of my step back into things, I guess. I had a really tumultuous time for a good many years. Mm. Um, and so when I was in Berlin, I, I was no one knew me, so I decided I'd try stand-up because the big plus for me there was I could fail. Yeah, um, true. So I started doing stand-up and I really liked it. And then I wrote this show, which is a mix of stand-up and theatre, so it's been running for Edinburgh and, yeah, that's kind Amazing. of what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm actually shocked to think that, that you've only done stand-up recently because I would have thought you would have been brilliant at it and it's never occurred to me that you haven't, you know, tried it. No, I mean, I guess I was always really scared of it, you know, because I started out just on TV doing stuff to camera. Yeah. And I didn't know if people were laughing or not and, you know, they they were laughing in their lounge rooms because they called me a comedian, but I didn't get that direct feedback. So it was always a bit of a security blanket, you know, that everything I did was pre-recorded, and it was a real challenge for me to get up and actually do stand-up. Like I found it really challenging. But once I got the hang of it, yeah, I just oh, love it. Yeah, I would think that you're totally in your element doing that. So <laughs> I, I encourage everyone to go and watch your show. So um, I don't even know what to say with you because it's a slightly different kind of business. So my next question would normally be, why did you do it? Why did you set it up? But was there something that prompted you to try the stand-up then? Uh, I have no real skill set other than performance skills. And which I needed is, which to make money. Amazing. <laughs> and I needed to make money. Right. I couldn't get a real job, and so I thought I just have to use the skill set I have. And you know, it's in, in some ways it's been a real disadvantage because it's like I go to get a job in a bar, and they're like, um, "Have you ever worked in a bar?" No. Mm, yeah. See you later. <laughs> um, right. So I always have to just come back to these artistic skills because it's all I have. Yeah. So. Well, you're very blessed. I mean, it's more than most people have. So, um. thank you. But I think everyone's got 
creative ideals. I mean, it just means that I might be happy, but I'm poor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, I mean, if we're, if we're talking in the bigger scheme of things, who wants to be rich and unhappy? Much rather be happy and poor. But it'd be great to be happy and rich. I do like that idea of that Yeah, <laughs> it would be. Okay, so let's go right back to um, when you were leaving school, high school, um, and then let's talk about what how your career has evolved since then because I, I know it's been a very wiggly and windy path and I'm interested to hear all of it. So are you an only child? Did you have brothers and sisters? Where did you grow up? No, I was. Um, I have an older brother and yeah. so I was the baby. Um, I grew up all over because at that stage my dad was in the army and so, ah. you know, I was born in Singapore, went back to Toowoomba, went back to Singapore, Melbourne, six primary schools. Um, That's exactly are- the same as me, only my dad was in the British Army and it was all around Europe. And we oh, ended right. up living in Germany for four years before we came ah, to Australia. Oh, I'll be Yeah, so I think shifting schools a lot, that shaped a lot of my personality. Um, yeah, well, so what's your theory on that? Because my theory has always been you go one of two ways. You either learn how to make friends very, very quickly which is the way I went and I would imagine you went, or you become very introverted. Is that sort of? Yeah, I agree 100%. You're either going to do this or you're going to go. You're going to go right inside um, and go, I don't need people. Yeah, my brother tended to do this. Right. Um, I was more like, okay, this is my fourth school. Um, you don't need to show me where the toilets are. I'll be able to smell them. <laughs> um, you know, and you just sort of like hunted out your friends very, very quickly. Um, so right. it became a real skill asset, actually, you know, being able to talk to people mm. quickly, easily, things like that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you finished school and you went to Vic College of the Arts. Indeed. Was that your sort of main goal? Was that the big dream to get up yeah. on the stage and do that? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I had no other ideas in my life other than I wanted to be a dancer. That's, that's all I knew. And I'd actually gotten into the college when I was 12, um, (laughs) but I decided not to to go. Um, So I finished year 12 and then I got in for tertiary. And that was, I'd I'd never considered anything else, despite everyone telling me no. I mean, it was the 70s and 80s, so a career in the arts was still deemed like, no, you have to have something to back yourself yes, up and, know. you know, oh, yeah, right, so I'm going to go and do a medical degree and then come back and be a dancer at 28, <laughs> yeah. am I? Is that what you, you know, right. and it's so there, there was all this concern and worry, no, you don't want a career in the arts, no, you have to have a backup plan, no, you won't make it, no, you won't this. But I just didn't listen. So you just soldiered on, well done. Yeah. So what happened next? So, so yeah, tell everyone the story. I'm, I'm just going to prompt you to keep talking, basically. Yeah, so, so. essentially when I was in my second year, a drunk teacher. Um, drunk? Oh, yeah, God, he was I drunk. didn't know that. Yeah, because- he, he – everyone knew that he had a drinking problem, but nothing was ever done, I guess, because he was the dean's husband. Right. Um, anyway, I was leaping across the room and he did a daft thing and picked up my front leg, lifted me above his head and then just dropped me backwards and the knee snapped at the knee joint. And, um, yeah, it was, so I ended up having surgery. I ended up in a plaster cast. I ended up doing physio for a gazillion months. Um, it was six months before I could walk without a limp, Yeah. And the whole time all I'm thinking is, God, I hope I can 
get my fitness back. I hope I can get back to ballet. And I did go back. Well, there was a whole lot of stuff that happened with the VCA because I sued them. So then suddenly, um, you know that this is your fault. You know that you bought this upon yourself. This was the kind of Oh, my God, I didn't know that. So you are getting all that pushback. Yeah, this is a message I was being um, given. And then they failed me um, in my second year. So I had to go back into second year. And, you know, my leg was, I was struggling to um, keep my leg in a, a good shape, in good shape. Yeah. And eventually I just had to go because it was like three three days in physio, one day in class, three days in physio, one day in Holy. class. So what do you do when your dreams have been shattered so soon? Well, you know, I think at that point I was young and I just kept going, but I didn't realise how much that accident had affected me mm. um, and, I, and it still does. So what did you do when you left VCA? Because I know you ended up on Countdown, but was there something in between? (laughs) I I just basically uh, sort of pushed into commercial dance because I knew that I could kind of handle that and choreography. So I was choreographing fashion parades, you know, like that was a really great money earner. I was organising dances for clubs. I was dancing at nightclubs. Um, So that's how I'm – days. Oh, weren't they? (laughs) Me as the go-go dancer. Um, yeah, so I was, you know, chevrons, chasers, um, billboards, all those. I was dancing there and then also dancing on Countdown. And okay, so that was the sort of connection you were already doing. Yeah, so then they asked, and Amanda Pellman from Mushroom was there, and she came up to me and asked me if I wouldn't mind if I'd be interested in choreographing a video clip. For Kyla Minogue, and you went, so, oh, that girl from that girl from Neighbours. Neighbours, no, I, <laughs> she I doing always, a song. <laughs> I knew from the minute I met Kylie that she would do well because really, she's, why? Oh God, yeah, I really think driven? there was a really special quality. It's a really steely determination, but it's very in, deep inside her. Right. So she might be quiet and, you know, all those kinds of things, but she, I could tell she was so very determined. Well, so certainly I, you, you wouldn't have a career like hers if you, if there wasn't something special in there. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, remember all the shit that the press yes. gave her for like oh, two years God. and yes. she just kept going. So, yep. you know, and I know how hard that is, you know, getting Idiots. crap press. But for two years, you know. Mm. <laughs> so I choreographed that. But then at the same time, um, this was a really weird experience, okay? Yeah. Remember we had answering machines? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. So I'd gone out one day and I was rehearsing stuff and everything and I kept saying to my friends, I've forgotten to put the answering machine on and I just feel like someone's trying to contact me. Like it was a really strong feeling. Wow. felt daft even saying it. Of course, got home, no answering machine. The next morning the phone rings at 6 o'clock in the morning and it's, Grant Rule from the ABC, and he's like, oh, hi, Tanya, Grant Rule, uh, executive producer, Countdown. We tried to call you all day yesterday. We figured you must have had a day job, you know. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> you know when you're in sync with the world? So, you know, yes. like it was just that. And anyway, he said they were doing a new show. They wanted me to come into audition. I, I auditioned, three auditions, a long process. I got the job. But I was told, well, they didn't actually really want you. We're only taking you because a couple of other people wanted you. So, <laughs> oh, how charming! 
Yeah. But it was great because. So this was the countdown job, I'm assuming. No, this was the factory. This was this oh, was the job okay. that I got from being a, a countdown dancer. Right, 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 right. I've forgotten the factory. Okay. Yeah. So what happened was because no one gave a shit, they just sort of let me go. And in letting me go, I had all this creative freedom. And that's why I was just able to really speak to that generation that, mm. that really dug the factory because – they weren't there filtering me. They weren't there saying no. They were just not giving a shit. Yeah, back, well, back to the days where, you know, you were just uh, given free reign, I guess. Well, Slightly I was, and no one, no one would ever get, have that situation. No. No, it was very unusual. And then by the time they did give a shit, it was too late, you know, like I was popular. They, they couldn't yeah. kind of do anything about it. And um, that's basically how I found my my way into television and that's how I rose to having a public profile. So what happened from that? So you were in the factory. I don't actually remember the factory. Isn't that awful? Yeah. I remember seeing you in crowds of people and doing, um, you know, commenting and hosting shows. So yeah. was that, that was in so the factory then. Basically, um, the, they axed the factory at right. the peak of its success to make room for Countdown Revolution because Molly right. Meldrum had made up with the ABC um, and they would just, they decided they're going to bring back Countdown and he was going to produce and it was going to be called Countdown Revolution and it was a disaster. Right. It was just a disaster. Um, there were so many people on the show. One time I remember everyone's there waving goodbye at the end of the show. There's more people on the stage than there were in the audience. Yeah. No one could get their heads around or get to know anyone because – Everyone was just, you know, all over the shop and Molly kept bringing, bringing new people in. You know, I met this guy. He was spruiking at Vic Market. He's a butcher. <laughs> He's going to be the new host. Come on. Oh, uh, yeah, right. You know, so it, it just eventually they got rid of Molly. They got rid of everyone except for me. They brought in Mark Little. Yeah, and, and how was that? Because he was very popular as Joe Mangle yeah, in those days, totally. wasn't he? And, you know, such a quick mind. It was a real challenge working with Mark because his mind just. Because so he went I on to, to do the big breakfast in the UK. Yeah, after, yeah, didn't he? yeah, yeah. But um, we were trying to, we were just kept being told, anarchy, anarchy, we want anarchy, you know. And also <sighs> beyond all this, like all these years, I've been writing my own material, you know, I've been producing 20 minutes of television a week for a three-hour program, all just with my producer and my little crew and, you know, our little unit. And it was great yeah. fun. There was so much writing on Countdown and there was so much money involved. So it, the show lost its – it didn't have an edge. You know, they weren't fighting against anything. And I think when you're doing a pop show, you kind of have to almost be fighting against something when it's all delivered onto the plate. Yeah, you've got a budget for that. No worries. So Mark and I were struggling a little a little bit, but they kept pushing this anarchy, anarchy, anarchy thing. So we decided to give them anarchy and we planned this mock strike and we did the strike and then they fired us. God, so what happens then? Because that was quite public. So what happened mm. to Tanya Lacey after that? Well, it was a difficult time. It was a very difficult time. Mm. Um, you know, basically I'd been – um, how can I put this? I was working in a system that was set up to exploit me 
Mm-hmm. And when I refused to be exploited, they spat me out. Is the best way. Well, I all can I say can it. imagine, all I can, I can see it in my mind now. All these old blokes standing around saying, "I've put money into this, and we've got, we've got our money on Molly, and Molly knows what he's doing, and we'll just bring in these young people, and you know they'll do what they're told." And you know the fact that you wouldn't do what you were told, or were being told to be anarchy in the same breath as them wanting to probably, you know, pull the puppet strings. I could just, mm. I can almost imagine it. So, what do you do when that happens, Tanya? I mean, you know, the media went after you as well. So, yeah, it was a really hard time, and it mm. broke my heart. You know, it really broke my heart. I just saw how quickly you can be discarded. Smash um, out, it's exactly as you said, yeah. Yeah, and that really hurt. Mm. Um, and, you know, I was still well-known, but I wasn't – suddenly my world was very still. You know, like I'd had a life where I'd been at ballet five nights a week, then at the college, then choreographing, then, you know, on TV, and then suddenly silence. And Did you go very, into a depression? Very, very depressed. And I think that a lot of the busyness in my life had been about keeping that depression at bay. Right. But then suddenly when I didn't know what to do, then I was very, very depressed. And that was a really difficult time. And, uh, you know, then Channel 9 picked me up, but that didn't really work out. That show didn't really work out. And then just nothing was coming in and I decided, right, I'm not going to sit and wait for the phone to ring. It's not going to happen. Good I have woman. to create. I have to create my own work. Yeah. And so I started writing um, this one woman show, which I did called All of Me. I took it to Edinburgh. Um, I came. You know, I got uh, shortlisted for the Perrier Newcomer Award. Um, none of that made any news in Australia, and um, I came back again to just silence. So then I decided, right. I'll just keep writing. I'll write films. I, you know, so I started writing short films. Right. Um, and I wrote a lot of short films and uh, one of them was called, well, it was actually a TV series I was working on called Tiziana Buberini. <laughs> Love that character. Love the name. <laughs> yes. And then we move on to the next phase of disaster in that this director who was doing his VCA film needed a script because his had been canned. And I said, oh, well, I've written this uh, TV series, but it's going to work as a short film. You know, it's a musical set in a supermarket, la, 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 la. We make that film. He puts his name on it as the writer. Oh, my God. Is he? Uh, okay. In order to graduate because he tells me then, Stop I didn't realise I had to put my name on as, as the writer. Otherwise, I, you know, I just didn't realise that was what I had to do. Oh, Tanya. What do you do then? Then he gets a three-picture deal with Miramax based on the strength of that movie, wins Telluride, all these things, and I'm like, you've got to tell people who wrote this. And you've got to bring me along with you. Yeah. Mm, so he Nothing. says, I'll give you the lead ride role in the feature version if you keep quiet about who wrote the movie. And I'm stars in my eyes. Okay, sure. Uh, you know, I go to Hollywood and, of course, no, there was never any intention and he had to get rid of me in the most humiliating and horrific way possible. Oh and my so Lord, he did. Tanya. So then I eventually, I lawyered up. I said I've had enough. Good girl. 
I'm not, and, and I had this wonderful lawyer who was an Australian who who did this for nothing. He worked at a big firm and he was like, no. This is wrong. So he took on Miramax, but taking on Miramax in 1990, whatever, yeah. 25, was difficult. <laughs> Understandable, but yes, yeah. Painful. I was told I was many things. None of them were nice. And uh, the campaign that Robert Lukedic waged against me in order to gaslight me and erase me from his history was so devastating that I left LA and I suffered PTSD. Oh, Tanya, my goodness, I, I had no idea. This story just seems to be getting worse and worse. It does. <laughs> Shit. So, and the fact that you're doing comedy now, this is making it particularly poignant. So what do you do when somebody has just walked all over you like that and done well, something that's so patently ethically wrong and, and you're, you can't do much about it? Well, it got worse because he directed Legally Blonde. So, of course, who's going to believe me? You know, yeah, right. Who's going to believe me when he has that success? Mm. Um, and it wasn't until I only started talking about this recently because the thing that I thought would happen is he built his career on a house of cards and that house of cards has collapsed because eventually, you know, the boy genius who wrote and created a musical when no one else was doing musicals, cracks start to appear. So... At the height of, you know, the Legally Blonde thing, no one's listening to me. Everyone thinks I'm a nut. Yeah. You know. Um, but now people are listening to me and with Me Too and and Weinstein being exposed as a the monster. The monster that he was, yeah. Yeah, I think people are more willing to listen and hear and believe that this is the truth, particularly when you see my work and my body of work and understand the character of Tiziana Buberini is just a conglomeration and, so got my DNA all over yes, it. Yes, exactly. You know. Um, so, yeah, that was the, the one great thing to come out of L.A. is I met my husband and um, he'd been working on Mission Impossible and we both hated L.A. and he, he was like top of the food chain in what he did and I'm plankton and I said, if it doesn't get any better up there, what are we doing, you know. Yeah, yeah. So we came back to Australia and – <coughs> he encouraged me to <coughs> sorry okay. to um get some help and I was in a really bad way mm-hmm. and over the next mm, four or five years I just basically dealt with all these issues of the fall lucatic the theft of my talent the theft of my work the theft I just can't um, believe that people did that to you. That is just the worst thing to hear. I'm so devastated for you. And it's not uncommon that women are gaslit in this way all the time. Mm, don't get off and get to hear the stories, though. No, I know. And because, you know, I was so afraid for so long of this person and once I'd sort of recovered from my PTSD and um, was able to get to a point where I could say his name without bursting into tears, yeah. Um, then I decided that it was time to, to talk about this story. And I know that I am not the first woman that has had their work stolen and a man put in a name to their name to it. 
No. But God damn it, if I can give someone else strength to come out and say it, Jesus Christ, that would be awesome. Yeah. Well, hopefully it will start to happen now. Mm. So what did you do next? Because, uh, well, I was going to jump into Berlin, but I don't know whether that was next. What happened no, after no, you um, done the- we, My husband and I were in Melbourne. Uh, we had a baby and there were some complications. A pair was born with a cleft lip and palate. Right. So we had a lot to deal with in that first year. Um, but having that wonderful child in our lives just, you know, just it really helped. Eh? It just helped heal me. You yeah. know, like, okay, I don't believe that motherhood is for everyone and not every woman should have no. to have a child. I have no judgments about women who choose to not have children. But for me personally, it was very healing. Not that that's his job, but I just saw what was important, Yeah, you know, in my life. I actually just I, I read I read um, uh, something about Katy Perry this morning. I think her daughter's just turned one, and she said something about it's just so nice to have somebody look at me and not care about my resume and not care about anything. They just look into your eyes and they love you to death. Mm. And that is, I think, the beautiful thing that parenthood gives you. It's that just those beautiful children or child that just love you to death, and they don't care what you look like. What you sound like that it nothing will ever change it. It's gorgeous. Yeah, and um, I felt so like I I got, I got so much strength from from being a mum. You know, I got so much strength from um, finding this little chamber of my heart that just had unconditional love, which oh. made me love other people more. And you know, I, it it was just an amazing time. And through that, I sort of my confidence so slowly started to grow again, and um, I started writing again, and I started getting work as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so have you written a book? I've written two books. Oh, what are for, they called? <laughs> Tracy Lacey is completely cuckoo bananas, and Tracy <laughs> Lacey for classy captain. They're books for tween age girls. They're right. funny books because the domain of funny irreverent books tends to be in the hands of male writers writing for young boys. Yep. And so Thank I you, wanted Andy to. Griffiths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I wanted to write something that was funny for girls. Yeah. I love it. And irrelevant uh, and rat baggy, you know, and that's exactly what the book is. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So do you think you would write uh, your life story at some stage? You know, I feel like you should. I feel like I should because you're about the fifth person that said it to me week. this week. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> this week. Yeah, yeah, you've got a good story to tell, Tanya, that's for sure. So, okay, so what happened What happened that made you decide to go to Berlin? And tell me about those years. Okay, so we decided to go to Berlin because we wanted our son to be bilingual, basically. You know, my husband's German. Right. And he's bilingual. Mm-hmm. And we realised that the only way we could truly achieve it with him reading, doing maths, everything in German, was to put him in school in Germany. Right. Um, I was writing, so I could write from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, the longer we were in Germany and the more I was away from Australia, the more the writing work dried up. Right. Um, as much oh, as so when you were writing, were you doing, like, journalism kind of articles. No, no, I was writing for TV. um, Oh, my goodness, right. Animations for kids. um, God, you're a talented woman. Yep. (laughs) 
the books. Um, and then I wrote some films that I put in for funding. Um, no cigar, because apparently I don't have international credits. <laughs> oh, my. oh well, Tanya, I feel like your career is going to blossom now you're back. Well, well, I do have international credits. It's yes, just that my name isn't on it. Um, oh, stop. Uh, yeah, that guy, but that guy, whoever, whatever his name was, who did Legally Blonde, is he is he done and dusted now? I don't know. I I, I don't hear his name around. I, I haven't really. No, I don't really follow. I just what am he not does. wishing the best for him. So no, I can understand <laughs> that completely. Okay, so you were writing in Berlin, and what yeah, was what was he actually? Uh, he does motion graphics, so okay. he works mostly for Americans. So um, it doesn't matter where he is, really. Yeah. So long as he's got his powerful computer, he's fine. And so I was writing, but gradually not being in the room in Melbourne meant that the work just dried up. Right. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to make some money. Um, and I went into the stand-up and, yeah. And there we, and there we are bringing us back to today. So what, uh, And I just have to ask you, why are you back? What, what's going to happen next with Tanya Lacey, other than you're obviously going to have to write your book? But what else? <laughs> I keep thinking, though, who'd want to hear about my life? Oh, my um, God, it'll walk off the shelves. I reckon that'll, that'll kickstart your, your TV career all over again. Um, yeah, I well, a large part of wanting to come back was we felt our time there was done. We mm-hmm. um Pear's language was very solid, and um, but also COVID. We yeah. had been in a six-month lockdown, and we hadn't seen family, and we wanted to see them. Mm. You know, it, it just was getting too hard. We were watching our son's life disintegrate to just being school online, friends online. Um, usual rites of passage were not happening to him for him. Going to a party, kissing someone. Yeah. getting drunk, you know, like none of this. I, was- I, I have to say my son, I've got one son who's 20 who finished school at the beginning, well, the end of 2019 and just talking about you and I and, and our flats and what it was like at uni. He's had none of it. He hasn't, he's in second year uni and he hasn't even gone into the campus yet. I mean, it's terrible. Oh, my gosh. It's I know. Insane, he has isn't no, it? he, and he goes, it doesn't matter, mum, you know, this is great. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're missing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, watching our son's life disintegrate and we just felt like we have to go. And going to Melbourne kind of wasn't an option because we thought we could end up in the same situation Mm -hmm. in a city. So we decided to move somewhere remotely. Oh, so you've actually decided to stay up there. You're you're living up there, locked in. And where are you? up In Cairns. Cairns. Yeah, Machen's Beach is where we are. Right. But, well, you never know. I'm trying to get myself up there. Uh, before the lockdown, I had my ticket booked, so I'll look you up when I'm there. <laughs> make sure you do. I will. But, yeah, we, we we chose somewhere remote because that lockdown really affected me. Mm, it was right. a really long, dark winter. It was a very cold winter. We had more snow than we'd had in the entire time we'd been there. And... I was just starting to fall into a really deep depression. Right. I've started to sound like Australian depression. <laughs> depression. But now you're back and you've got the sunshine and you're up, up north. I've Are got you the sunshine it? and I've got the ocean and together those two things I find to be the most healing, yeah, wonderful things. 
and I'm lucky to have my wonderful family, you know. Yeah. So. Mm. Mm. And you never know when you get bored of the fact that you're up in a in a small remote town, you can come down to Melbourne because we'll be open by then. Maybe. Well, that's right. <laughs> as soon as it's open, I'm going to hop on a plane. Don't worry about that. I yeah. just want to come and see everyone. Yes, but I'm sure. I really just we just want a, a life for our son that that was outdoors as well. You know, like having mm. watched that for six months, it was just like, oh god. No, no well, I, I don't know. Do you know Kate Langbrook from? I don't yeah, know yeah, she, yeah, yes. yeah. She was in so Italy. She, yeah, she went to Italy with her five kids, and then they all got locked down there as well. And mm. you just kind of go, you know, it's lonely being on your own. It's very cramped when there's five. I mean, we've got five in my house a lot of the time. Jesus, it's a lot. Chuck in a couple of it dogs, is. and it starts going really crazy. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. Okay, now this podcast is really about women in business and Mm -hmm. women. And one of the things that I like to ask, because I don't think enough women get enough praise for the help that they're they're giving, is have there been some women that have helped you along the way with your career? And if so, how have they helped you? And it may be that there haven't been. I did have one woman say, I cannot think of one woman who's ever helped me, which nearly made me want to cry. But have you had some women help you along the way? Sadly, no. I have to think hard about it. God, Tanya, um, that is um, awful. My my agent, you know, like both family. women, I have been with them for a long time. They have stood through, by me through thick and thin. They yeah. pick me up when I can't. Good. They spend more money on phone calls to me than I earned them in commission one year. Um, <laughs> you know, like, so those two women, Barbara Gange and Maria Jablonski, were – you know, always there for me and they, they, well, Barbara has since died, but Maria, yes, they're there. Oh, that's good. But in terms of being mentored by women in the industry, no. No. Not in entertainment. And interesting, I have an interesting story. I had a, there was a comedy competition up here last week. Yep. And one thing I noticed when I came to Cairns was that every comedy night I'd go to, I'd go, where are all the women? You know, why right. aren't there any women? And uh, are, are you talking women. about on stage or in the audience? Yes, yeah, on stage. Yep. Anyway, this comedy competition, the final, there was three women, of which I was one, and six men. There were three male judges, and which I found surprising because I thought in 2021, you You'd know. you think there'd be one woman at least. Yeah. Anyway, um, two male winners, very good comedians, you know, they won. But I was surprised by the lack of diversity and particularly when there was a woman who got up, it was her second time up and she was brilliant, just a special call out, a a special award, an honourable mention, something. So anyway, I I wrote this, um, you know, uh, these were the winners, congratulations kind of thing on my page. Sadly, no women, all male judges, hashtag diversity matters, inclusion matters. Yep. Well, it created an absolute storm and the person that was most upset by it was a woman. Why? Who? Because I think she doesn't know any different that in the wider world this would be seen as like odd. Very odd. You know, like, and when I look at the pictures of the comedy scene up here on the pages, it's all guys standing around each other, you know, like this guy right. headlined. There's very few female headliners. Um, 
So I don't think she knows any different. And she took this as me shitting on them, were her words. You come up here, you shit on us. Oh, my God, Tanya, not what you need. No, and also just not what I was getting at, you know, like you didn't get a prize because you're not good enough. And it's like, no. I wasn't talking about prizes. I don't even even care. I know that I got up and I did a great set and I walked away from that night just going, (laughs) that was a great set. I yeah. walked in through past the foyer to a round of applause, you know, like yeah. I, I was happy, you know, like. But I just, just pointing out the fact that I'm, we need to have more women there. And I'm also coming to this competition as a fully formed artist. You know, the other women there, they're not. They're younger. Yeah. They're yeah. starting out and they're not. And it was more for them that I was kind of like diversity matters, people. Anyway, it was a very vitriolic post and it was a very extreme response and the fact that it was from a woman and I got – I felt kind of really sad that the diversity here is such that that, that comment was seen as an attack rather yeah. than, you know, it was a, really the, the, not the, the, meant I, as an attack. No, but I, I feel that there's a lot of change happening and certainly, I mean, She's the Boss has come up completely out of COVID because I realised that there were that there's just nothing on television about women and, and there's nothing, there's no TV networks now around the world that have got female founders and women in business. There's just none. <laughs> it's mm. just shocked me completely. Except for Oprah's network. Um it, well, except for Oprah's, but I guess uh, I, I, my focus was on business. There's absolutely there's two shows in the world, one of which is closed down in Norway, um, about women in business. But but it's the same thing. I do. I just think there's a groundswell. We need to be doing this, and you are going to get pushed back, but we're well, all going to support you. What I decided that I would do is I'm going to conduct a writing class, stand up writing class, but for women only, right? Because I felt like if I walked into this space as an unformed artist, this would be terrifying. Mm. Men yelling at it, you know, over the top of each other to be heard and just being boisterous men. Like I'm not saying their behaviour was bad. I'm saying they were being men. And the women, we were all sitting against the wall being quiet because we couldn't get a word in. Yeah. And so I thought perhaps the reason why there's so few women is if you walked into this, You'd be shit scared or you'd be just like, I don't fit in here. Yeah. So I decided um, I'll conduct this class that's for women, that is a safe space for women to write comedy without the kind of, you know, the boisterousness. And I just want these women to feel safe, that confident that when they walk into a room and if that bullshit is going on, they can walk out, which is yeah. what I did. I just ended up going, this is too noisy for me. I'm going to go and sit over here in the corridor. Right. Um, but, you know, I can make those choices. But these young girls, you know, I sort of saw people trying to fit in and join in and there's just there was no room for us there in that no, space. No, I think, I think that's a brilliant idea on a whole lot of levels. You've already said that you didn't really have women mentor you. How how the difference that might have made for you if there had been somebody who was giving you a leg up and was showing you how they were dealing with that sort of thing, which you'll be able to do for other women. Yeah, and when I was working at the ABC, you've got to remember, I was a 24-year-old woman. There was not a single woman in a position of power. The women worked in hair, makeup, wardrobe. There was not a single woman in a position of power. 
There was not a single performer there in a position of power that I could model myself off. My role models were beer-swilling blokes who for the most part, you know, could change my life with a stroke of a pen. And they did. Yeah. And they did. And, you know, like – I often wonder about that. I often sit there and think, what would it have been like if I'd had someone at the ABC who was like, you know what we need to be doing? You know, and taking me aside and setting something up and nurturing what I had and giving me five different shows over 10 years like I have seen male comedians All the guys get, yeah. You know, like, yeah, you've done that show. Now can you do another one? And, you know, um, and some of them have done the exact same things that I used to do Everyone calls that innovative. Mm. You know, I didn't get the innovative label. No. It's I didn't tight. get that credit you was, were. You that were. Credit you were was so passed over. Was passed over. Well, you know what, Tanya? Last year, at the end of last year, some research came out about diversity in the media in Australia from the Media Diversity Council. And the startling stat, which I don't think you're going to find startling at all, is that 100% of the programmers and news directors in Australian free-to-air television are white Anglo-Saxon men over 50, 100%. And we're talking 2021, 100%. It just still blows my mind. That's very disturbing. It is. Um, Time to change. And I I really have to say that, you know, like – it's very intimidating, particularly if you're a young woman in this business. Mm. Um, like I remember walking into like just staff meetings and just all men, mm. producers, directors, everyone's men, and I'm 24. Now, luckily they didn't give a shit about me because when I was sort of just shunted to one side, the director that I got to work with did give a shit about me and he helped mold me and push me in ways that, you know, he really understood me and my comedy and he just took me with him. But in that room, that was a very, I didn't say a word. Um, Another time a network tried to poach me and I went to the meeting and walked into a boardroom full of men, not a single woman, and I'm 25 years old. And they say to me, Tanya, what? what do you want to do with your career? And I said, well, ultimately I want to write comedy movies and star in them. And they went, <laughs> no, but really. <laughs> oh, my um, God. Like Look, that I, was just I, 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 yeah. so far out there for them, you know. Well, and- I mean, it's, it, it's, it's so true now even in business because there is a, a huge movement and it's bloody well long overdue to get women on boards, which we know about. And somebody the other day was saying that the top 200 ASX companies in Australia now have got um, at least one woman on the board. And all I could think of is those poor women who are just one (sighs) woman on a board with all these blokes trying to get their point of view across. I mean, you you shouldn't be allowed to be just one woman. (laughs) There has to be a minimum of two. It's easy to write these conversations off as sour grapes. But no. they're not sour grapes. They're actual problems. Mm, they are that needs actual resolving. problems. And um, I really find that I often think back to that time when I was young and I, I do wonder about that. What would it have been like to have a fabulous female role model there for yeah. me? Well, so you know, and even now I look yeah. at it and I think, who in television has been given as many shows as the blokes that could mentor me. None. No one. 
But you know what, Tanya? That you're going to turn it around and you're going to have to mentor some women instead. And I've got yeah. an idea for you, which I'll tell you about after this. Um, now, what was I going to say? Last couple of things. Uh, how do you juggle work and life? What sort of hours do you work? Do you take specific time out? Mm, well, I work whenever I'm not doing something else because I'm also doing a law degree. Oh, my God. Good on you. Oh, my God. Wouldn't you love, love to see you as a lawyer? So how far into it are you? Oh, a couple of months. Um, right. I started mid-year. Um, yeah, it's a lot harder than I thought it would be. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> Did you think it was going to be a breeze? Oh, my no, God. I always, oh, yeah. <laughs> I always thought it would be hard. But <laughs> I, I did say to people, you know, how hard can it be? Well, you know, um, if Kim Kardashian's trying to do it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I am doing a law degree. I am writing comedy. I am performing comedy. I am being a mother. Yeah, and a, a wife. wife. I have many hats, and I find that my days are very full. Right. Um, there's not a lot of time. For- but have you been burnt out in the past? Because the one of the things that I've really noticed, and I've interviewed about over 150 women now, and the number of women that have pushed themselves to the point of burnout and have had their adrenal systems bail on them, they've spent, you know, they've had to change their careers completely. I was, I've been shocked by it. So that's why I asked this question. Are you taking time out for yourself as well? Um, yeah, I take time out, even though I know, God, I've still got that assignment to do, or I've still got that set to finish off and whatever. Still got mm. that, got to rehearse that comedy for tonight. Um, I do take time out because I have been burnt out and it was just, it was awful, you know, like just sort of feeling like I've got nothing creative to do anymore because there's nothing in me. Yeah. You know, an empty, empty shell. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I wouldn't want to do that. But, yeah, the lucky thing is here we've got the beach. So I can go down the beach, have a swim, come back, start again. (laughs) Very true, very true, and I'm very envious of you. Okay, is there a quirky fact that most people don't know about you that you'd be up for sharing? And it could be anything. (laughs) I love what I get for this one. I don't know if people know this. I'm really clumsy. Um, How clumsy? so clumsy. I've always got bruises, black eyes. Like literally my husband is like, oh, God, people are going to think that I've beaten you up, you know. Like I I came off an e-scooter in Berlin and nearly killed myself, um, like literally nearly God. killed myself. I'm constantly banging into falling over, you know. Like it's mental like how <laughs> clumsy I am. People don't put – Anyone who knows me that comes to the house, they they grab their glass as I walk by. Like <laughs> you are that woman. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so clumsy. Mm. Wow. All right. Well, Tanya, this has just been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for sharing Thank your story. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. So good to see you. I <laughs> know. Oh, it's been fantastic to see you too. So um, I can't wait to share this. If anyone wants to book you for stand-up, and I'm sure that there will be people because I'm asked a lot about entertainment and those sorts of things, or they want you to, you know, um, write a play for them or something, what's yes. the best way for them to get hold of you? Um, they can get hold of me through Facebook or right. they can, Tanya Lacey, or they can get hold of me through my website, tanyalacey.com. Great. 
All right. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see where you pop up next. Thanks, Jules. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au. 